When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. It was an absolutely brutal night for the Broncos and Russell Wilson. Don't give up on him yet. It is Canty and Carlin filling in for Greeny today on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Canty, what's going on? Hey, partner, I got to tell you this about that Thursday night game. It Mm. tested my marriage very early on. I'm serious (laughs) with you. It was touch and go for a second with my wife, especially when she saw that that game was going to go into overtime. She was like, babe, I don't know how much longer I can hang with you. This is this is ridiculous. I feel like I'm watching a baseball game. That's how bad the game was last night, and I feel like that's the case every single time we watch the Denver Broncos because they end up playing baseball score games. They really do, and by the way, two televisions will help save a marriage. So <laughs> let's just get rolling right there. Here we go! Only one place to start. And it's brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Greeny. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Look, Chris, that was atrocious. It was bad football. We can all agree on that. And I don't think there's ever a way to overstate how bad that football was last night. And everybody is looking in Russell Wilson's direction. And I totally understand it because he was terrible. The Broncos have been bad offensively since the start of the year. Nathaniel Hackett has been a train wreck so far. But, Chris, I'm not giving up on Russ because as bad as last night was, I don't think all of a sudden he's toast. I know that he missed uh, K.J. Hamler and he got all upset. I think this is... Russ in an offense right now that Nathaniel Hackett is trying to make work a certain way, and he's not playing to the strengths of his players, and by the way, is still making bad decisions. Yeah, that's what it comes down to, though, right? The track record. I'll give Russell Wilson the benefit of the doubt. Prior to this year, the three previous seasons, Russell Wilson was seventh in QBR and third in touchdown to interception ratio. So I'm not just going to believe that Russell Wilson, because he left Seattle, forgot how to play quarterback. I'm looking at the head coach, and Carlin, I think there's enough evidence there to suggest that this guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Think about this. Coming into week four, the Denver Broncos were the most penalized team in the National Football League. Through last night, you're talking about 14 red zone trips and only three touchdowns. Carlin, they're on track to be as bad as the 2012 Kansas City Chiefs in the red zone, and we saw that that was a two-win club. That's the direction that the Denver Broncos are trending in, and it's unfortunate because they have a championship-level defense. And I go back to the decision that Nathaniel Hackett made with that play call with about 2.18 left to go in the fourth quarter. The Indianapolis Colts don't have any timeouts. Why are you putting the football in the air when your team already struggles in the red zone and Russell Wilson has already thrown a fringe red zone interception? Why are you doing that? It made no sense, Carlin. Run the football, take it down to the two-minute warning, kick a field goal, go up six, and force the Indianapolis Colts offense to drive the length of the field to try to score a touchdown. Or even That's so, it. I, I didn't even have a trouble putting it in the air. I have trouble putting it in the air when you're throwing it in the end zone. 
Why are you throwing it in the end well, zone? Well, Carlin, but why put the if, football in harm's way anyway? Well, if you why, why put the, the football down, because why put here's the football why. in harm's way? Well, that's easy. If if it's a, if you're trying to get the first down, which is what he's talking about, not the touchdown, the first down, you're going to run it to the two minute warning. They don't have any timeouts left. You can run it down, end the game if you get the first down on a just short pass. If you if you want to throw the ball, you can do it. I don't have as much of a problem doing that as I do throwing the ball in the end zone. That's that I don't. Well, well, hold on, hold on. First of all, your offense has been god-awful in the red zone. They've been terrible. They were 0 for 2 in the red zone up until that point. And, Carlin, I'm I'm counting the interception from the 22-yard line. That might as well have been a red zone possession. So let's call it 0 for 3 at that point. Why are you throwing the football? You've got enough evidence through the first four and a half games to show you that your team and your quarterback not very good in the red zone. Why put the football in harm's way? There's, all, there's a couple of bad things that could happen, and one of them did when you throw the ball. You know the what? worst thing that could happen when you run the football, especially with Mike Boone? You don't gain any yards, and you have to settle for a field goal. And you're kicking a field goal on the other side of the two-minute warning, and you're leaving the Indianapolis Colts with no timeouts, less than two minutes to drive the length of the field and try to score a touchdown on your defense that had been balling all night. What that defense finish with? Six sacks? Yeah, and a couple of forced fumbles. They were great. Why, 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 why would you? Why would you leave that game in the position that you left it and give the Colts an opportunity by chancing an interception in the end zone and then allowing them to go down and kick a field goal well, to tie the game? That's what the problem was. L- listen, if you want to go and pick up the first down, which is exactly what Hackett talked about after the game, we wanted to get the first down. If you want to get the first down, that's fine. Don't throw the ball in the end zone. That's where my problem is, and I get it. I get it. You don't want to put the ball in harm's way at all. You want to run the ball in third and four. I wouldn't have had a problem with that. But if you're in that situation, you cannot go for the knockout punch right there. It made absolutely no sense because of what you have detailed here, because they have been just that bad in the red zone. But, Chris, I am amazed at the amount of people – and I think it's because of Russ's personality sometimes. I think people look at Russ and don't think he's genuinely authentic. People that are willing to just bury this guy and say this is his fault and it's toast and it's over with. This is what I don't understand. This has been a great quarterback in this league for a long time. And all of a sudden at 34, he lost it. We have seen this before with other players who have been put into new systems that they're not terribly comfortable in, and they're asked to do things that are not best for their skill set. Mm-hmm. Russ made some bad decisions last night, okay? That 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 interception down at the goal line where he basically uh, not the one uh, you know the the not the one where he was firing it on the end cut, the one where he's backing up and and backpedaling and just threw it up for grabs. I couldn't get over that, but I look at the coach and I look at. What we're talking about when, when you have said it and, you know, Parcells and Belichick, you can't overcome bad coaching. That's what this looks like to me right now. In every way, that's what this looks like to me. Well, that's what it feels like, Carlin, right? And we can't give Nathaniel Hackett the benefit of the doubt. This is the first time this guy is wearing the hat of being the play caller and the head coach at the same time. And so if it comes down to pointing the finger of blame, yeah, Russell Wilson is at fault when it comes to certain decisions, but – Russell Wilson, in all fairness, shouldn't be put in those situations. And that's that's what I look at. At the end of the fourth quarter, at the end of overtime, 
Those are calls that Nathaniel Hackett just can't make. I don't understand the decision to go for it at the end of overtime. Even though you had a play where K.J. Hamler was wide open, your quarterback has been missing red zone throws all season long. So why all of a sudden would you think that he's going to figure it out at the end of overtime in week five? I just just don't understand it. It makes no sense to me. So the sequencing of the play calls is another issue because I didn't like the third down run play that they ran. Mm -hmm. I thought you should have gave Russell Wilson, if you're going to make it four down territory, give him two cracks at it. Uh, Maybe run a rub route, a pick route. And then the other part about that fourth down play, Carlin, that I did not like. You lined up in shotgun instead of being under center. It's fourth and one. Yeah. If you're in shotgun, if you're a front seven defender – you're automatically eliminating the threat of a hard ball run. So mm-hmm. what that does is those second-level defenders, those linebackers, they can then sink and drop underneath some of those in-cuts that they were trying to run, and that muddies the picture for Russell Wilson. So we keep asking ourselves, how did he miss K.J. Hamler? Because there are a lot of bodies that are there, and Russell Wilson is not a tall quarterback to begin with. So all I'm simply saying is this. If you're Nathaniel Hackett, you got to put your players in situations where they can have success and then recognize when they're struggling with something – that that is going to dictate the decisions that you make at critical points in the game. So when we start talking about end of the fourth quarter, end of overtime, Russ has got to be better, there's no doubt. But Chris, Nathaniel Hackett is the one that I put most of the blame on I, with how last night's game played out. I don't disagree, but let's be fair. There are a few plays from being 0-5. There are a few plays from being 0-5 right now. And they're 2-3. and three. And they've got the Chargers coming up. They've got the Jets, Jacksonville. It's not horrible for the next few weeks, but I'm wondering if this season is going to end up being salvageable for the Denver Broncos. When I look at the rest of that division, when I look at how they're going to beat up on one another and the fact that they can't score and they can't figure it out. Like, is this going to be a team that could actually fight for a playoff spot when you look at what's ahead and when you look at just how poorly their offense is playing and seeing it bubble over last night with Hamler. I mean, if you haven't seen the video, because I didn't see it until this morning, about Hamler taking his helmet, slamming it down, and as angry as could be, and that to me just speaks to a few weeks of frustration building up for a, for a player and I have to believe he's not the only one feeling that way on that offense. Well, think about that. If Hamler's slamming his helmet, how do you think the guys on the defensive side of the ball feel? I'm sure they're sick to their stomach. I mean, those guys were lights out last night. I'm watching them fly around, Baron Browning and Bradley Chubb and DJ Jones. Those guys were absolutely getting after it, Carlin, and they deserved an opportunity to win that game. And it feels like it was taken from them, not only by their quarterback, but by their head coach. And at some point, it's like you have to hold – Nathaniel Hackett accountable. Everybody keeps coming up with excuses for this guy. And at the post-game press conference, he's talking about getting the go-ahead to go for it on fourth down. What the hell are you talking about getting the go-ahead? You're the head coach. (laughs) You might have a game manager to help you be aware of situations throughout the game flow. But at the end of the game, when it gets down to it, You've got to be the one to make that call. It can't be, oh, I got the go-ahead. I got my game manager to sign off on me making a decision. No, 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 no. You can't share the blame when it comes to that decision. You got to own that as the head coach. 
I made this decision. In hindsight, it was the wrong choice. I should have kicked the field goal. Our team was struggling in the red zone on the night. We've been struggling in the red zone all season. I was going to absolutely preserve the opportunity for a tie and allow my defense to get us a chance for a win by being able to get the ball back once I kick it to the Indianapolis Colts after the score. That should have been the approach. Unfortunately, they didn't take that tack, and it ends up being a notch in the loss column rather than, at the worst, being a tie. Canty and Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career path with flexibility and great pay and benefits? Go to Progressive.com slash careers. Apply online today. Bundle today at Progressive.com. We have got a jam-packed show just getting started. And boy, what a weekend we've got in front of us. Some excellent, excellent matchups on Sunday. We're going to get into them all and why this weekend in particular could really define the landscape of the NFL season. We'll explain in moments. Canty and Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. Greeny, the podcast. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We're going to get back to the football in a few minutes, but we just spent the entire commercial break breaking down the Draymond Green punch video on Jordan Poole like it was Hagler Hearns back in the day. Canty and Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Canty, I guess we could say Draymond was in the zone. In the Zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Draymond, if you haven't seen it, TMZ has put out the video from practice where Draymond punched Jordan Poole. And, Canty, if you will, I thought you did an excellent job breaking it down and really incorporating uh, the whole dynamic that involves the players around it Uh Explain exactly what went down here to us. Well, here's the thing. You can clearly see Jordan Poole is chirping and Draymond Green, he's going back and forth with him. But then Draymond Green decides to walk over to Jordan Poole and get in his face, clearly escalating the situation. And as Draymond is walking over, there's an assistant coach that's walking over with him. Now, when Jordan Poole pushes Draymond to get him out of his face, at that moment, 
I'm wondering to myself, with an assistant coach and four other teammates around, why don't you guys grab both players? Because you know what's going to happen next. There's no world in which Jordan Poole can push Draymond Green after they've been chirping and Draymond Green not retaliate. So what happens? Of course, Draymond Green retaliates, and he hits him with a flush straight right hand. I mean, after watching how Dre hit Jordan Poole, I mean, I feel like Jordan Poole should be in concussion protocol. That's that's how clean it was. And then Draymond dives on him. And then after that, you see other teammates walking over. And it leads me to think, Carlin, that maybe some of the guys for the Golden State Warriors wanted Draymond Green to shut Jordan Poole's mouth for him. Maybe he'd been doing a little bit too much talking throughout training camp. All I know is, if I'm Jordan Poole, ain't no way that could be me. Ain't no way I'm letting that go. There ain't no amount of apologies that's going to make it right. I'm showing up to work ready to fight every single day, and I'm going to fight until I win or until I'm satisfied, period. Canty, I, just watching this again, and if you haven't seen it, it's all over Twitter. The And we, I'm going to retweet it here in a second. But the assistant coach who is walking over with Draymond, as the shove happens, it's just kind of standing there. Draymond goes in, throws that right, and the assistant coach just kind of puts his arms, his arm out to grab him like, oh, no, don't. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, it was, the, even... it was the most half-hearted effort oh, to my, de-escalate a, an that altercation. Wasn't that, that, that was that I half-hearted. Like, I mean, he, he doesn't do anything. Like, he doesn't do anything. Now, if you're the assistant coach, you're probably making a business decision in that moment. And like, sure. Yeah, you know what? I don't want to get in between two professional athletes Relatively big guys, maybe I'll just pass on this one and tell the guys to stop it, and I'll rely on, I don't know, the three or four teammates that are standing right under the basket to be the ones to break it up. I but don't the know, fact, though. The, the, the eye in the sky don't lie. Listen, I will say this. There is definitely Geno Smith, IK, and Nimkapali vibes with this video that came out. And for those of you that don't know, IK and Nimkapali was the linebacker that broke Geno Smith's jaw in training camp because he was chirping in the locker room. I'm just saying it feels like that type of energy in watching this video. Either way, something ain't right with the chemistry in the Golden State Warriors. This ain't just going to be a sit-down to solve all of these issues. There's no way you can hit a man like that and then that man turn around and be cool with you. Okay, okay so could this possibly – like the, the rumor was or the story was that it was Jordan Poole talking about how he's about to get paid and he was going to build a pool – that was the greatest pool that you could potentially have, and he was going to call it the Jordan Pool and kept making the joke, And dr- to which Draymond finally said, find some new material, and he didn't. Like, could that – could it really nah, be nah, based that out of nah, that? that? I can't see nah, that. not the way that Draymond hit that man. No that's way. Something, that's something and, personal. I don't and, know if you're talking about his wife or whatever. That That's something extremely personal right there. There's yeah. no way that a man bragging about his contract – Talking about the pool he's gonna get, he's gonna put in is gonna make that situation escalate to where Draymond not only stole on him, but actually rushed him after he stole on him. Like it's crazy because Draymond Green wasn't satisfied with just punching Jordan Poole in the face and knocking the hell out of him. He wanted to hit him some more. Carlin, that's the part of it that's absolutely appalling. Like Draymond Green didn't just stop with the straight right hand; he dove on Jordan Poole when Jordan Poole was dazed from the punch. Like, that is something extremely personal. But what I don't understand is this. For all of the guys that have been around Golden State that know Draymond Green, how did you think that Jordan Poole was going to get away with pushing Draymond Green once Dray got in his face? There was no world where it was just going to stop right there. Not none. Period. 
I'll say this. Draymond's quickness is impressive. Like that was that Chad was like that Chad was like. That, it was that was a Mike Tyson's punch out Tyson you know level speed. Yeah, right there. Like I'm surprised you didn't see almost a little lightning before he hit him. Yeah, but here's the thing: what what is Jordan Poole thinking in that moment after you push Draymond? Dog, you know it's not going to end right there. You better keep that left hand up. You better yeah. protect your neck. If like, you, you push somebody, you, you have to know it's coming. It was a bad game plan to start with. It once Draymond comes over there, Jordan Poole has got to know this is okay. Gonna be so a let's fi- do that. This Chris. is going to be a physical altercation. Yeah. Rather than just push Take him, me through the game well, plan. No, here's the game plan. I'm giving it to you right now. Rather than push Draymond Green, just go ahead and scoop him. You're the smaller man, but guess what? Because you're shorter, you got leverage. So get into his legs, scoop him, dump him on the floor. Go with the ground game, as they say in UFC. And as a smaller man, you got more options in that fight. But to try to square up against a guy that's 6'9", and you're what, 6'4", 6'5"? Probably not going to end well for you, bro, as we see evidence in the videotape. Strategically. Yeah. Poorly planned. Yeah, kind of like Nathaniel Hackett. He went with that Nathaniel Hackett game plan. And once they got in the red zone, (laughs) they came up just a little bit short. That's what Jordan Poole did. That's a bad look, man. Here's the thing. I don't know how you sweep something like this under the rug now that it's out there in the ether. If people didn't see the video and just heard about the fight, that's one thing. Now everybody, including Jordan Poole's family and his people, they looking at him with the side eye like, bro, you just going to let that man hit you like that? <laughs> like that, that, that is going to be out there forever and always. So I don't know how Draymond Green makes amends for that. It's a bad look all the way around. It's Canty and Carlin in for Greeny on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Be a part of Greeny Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. Hit us up at 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper the one fans deserve. Carlin, you think some of Russ's teammates wanted to hit, oh my <laughs> hit him like Draymond hit Jordan Poole after I mean, last it, night? Watching this now, like I can't believe Russ hasn't gotten into that kind of a... <laughs> but I, I got to believe Russ would be a lot scrappier than Jordan Poole was in that spot. Well, I think those players are making a business decision because Russ is making a whole lot more money than Jordan Poole. So if you hit Russell Wilson, you're probably punching a one-way ticket out of Denver. Just uh, saying. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. I... I <laughs> That's, that's a very But that don't mean point. they didn't think it in their head, Carlin. That don't mean they wasn't thinking it. When you slam your helmet down like that and you're jumping up and down the end zone, I'm sure he was when he's <laughs> wide open. And just, as he said after the game, quote, I could have walked in. That's what K.J. Hamler said after the game last night. Canty, let's get to some of the games this weekend that we have to look forward to. And we start with the Rams and with the Cowboys. And look. As we're talking about, let's begin here with the Cowboys because when you look at what's happened so far, you have to be absolutely thrilled with the fact that you are sitting at 3-1. and one. But Canty, I can make the case that this game is actually more important for the Cowboys given the fact that the Eagles have gotten off to the start that they have. I don't expect them to lose to the Cardinals on Sunday. And these two teams, the Eagles and Cowboys, are going to square off next week. By the end of next Sunday, the Eagles could be three games in front of the Cowboys, and the NFC East could effectively be over if Dallas loses this weekend and then loses in Philadelphia next week. And I know that that's without Dak, but it doesn't matter. Playoffs are one thing. I do think it's important for the Cowboys to actually win the division. 
Uh, here's the thing. I don't think the Cowboys will win the division. I think they have a few more warts than the Philadelphia Eagles do. But I do like the Cowboys to win in week five in L.A., which figures to be a home game with all the Cowboys fans out there on the left coast. So, in looking at this matchup that they have with the Rams, this is all going to come down to which offensive line can protect their quarterback and which quarterback can protect the football. And I have a lot more confidence in the Dallas Cowboys with Cooper Rush and their offensive line than I do with the Rams. And how could you not after what we saw in primetime on Monday night when the Rams went up against the 49ers? That Rams offensive line allowed seven quarterback sacks, 11 quarterback hits, and 17 pressures. Matt Ryan threw a pick six. I got to be honest, Carlin, he could have threw three or four more interceptions with all of the Aaron throws, but that's because he was under the rest from that defensive line from the 49ers. Well, guess what? He's got another week and going up against what might be the league's best pass rush. And by pass rush win rate, that is the Dallas Cowboys defensive front led by Michael Parsons. So good luck with that. Conversely, when you look at the Cowboys offense, since they started implementing those two tight end sets a little more in their offensive personnel packages, they've done a great job at being able to protect the quarterback. Only two sacks on Cooper Rush in three starts. And oh, by the way, Cooper Rush has zero turnovers. So that's what this game is ultimately going to come down to. And that's why I like the Dallas Cowboys, not only to cover the number of five and a half, but to win outright in this matchup. Well, Mike McCarthy, here he is explaining how nobody is, nobody, they're nobody's underdog here. How often do you use the point spread to motivate the team? I don't know if I ever have. Uh, I don't know, you know, I have. I, I, what is it this week? Five and a half. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're underdogs? <laughs> we're good. All right. Just wrote my Saturday night speech. I'm good. No, no, I've never used it. But I'll just say this. We're nobody's underdog. Look, I actually, when when McCarthy's talking about that and everybody's kind of laughing at him, suggesting the Rams, well, of course you're an underdog in this game. Hey, be careful here. The Rams look bad. The, the Rams look really bad right now. and They and, always look bad against the 49ers, too. Let's keep that in mind. Yes, they do. But, Chris, we, know, we both know that Monday night was about more than that. Monday night was about a team with no offensive line right now and one that has a quarterback that I have to believe is not anywhere near 100%. And this was particularly confusing to me when I heard Sean McVay Talk about the performance of Matthew Stafford in this way on Wednesday. If you look at you know some of the different things that he was dealing with, I thought he played excellent the other night. Thought he did a lot of good things. I think you know the margin for error was that much smaller just because of how hard it was to be able to get explosives. But when you have a handful of drives that you get down into the red area, um, whether it was a play call or missed assignment, different things like that, everything seemed like it was a little bit heightened um, because they're such a tough, good defense. But I thought that was a performance that he could build on. Chris, what what performance are we watching? Because I get it, the offensive line was bad, and the, the sacks were coming fast and furious the other night, but this was not about Stafford not being able to do anything at all. Some of the throws I saw would indicate that we are talking about somebody that is not 100%. And that right elbow, I have to believe sooner rather than later, is going to be a big enough factor where the Rams are going to start to wonder whether or not this season is actually worth saving. Yeah, and Carlin, I I said it before the season started. I didn't think the Rams were going to go to the playoffs this year because their quarterback, in part, 
had that elbow injury. And the last time we heard about a quarterback with his elbow barker was Ben Roethlisberger, that quarterback, your team, the Pittsburgh Steelers. He had ultimately had surgery and was never the same. I'm not assigning that to Matt Stafford, but I am concerned about his physical health and how it affects his production. And if they can't be explosive in the passing game like they showed last year, then they got no shot at being able to make a return to the championship, but more importantly, being able to just win their division and get back into the postseason. So, yeah, there are some serious concerns with this team. Chief among them is the health of the quarterback, and that's not going to get any better when you're talking about this offensive line being as shaky as they are. Carlin, they're not great in pass protection. They're not good in run blocking. They have Mm -hmm. no balance on the offensive side of the ball. And of Matt Stafford's 48 pass attempts, 33 of those targets ended up going to two guys, Cooper Cup and Tyler Higby. That's it. That's all they got. They got a possession wide receiver and a tight end. That is the extent of their offense. That's awful right now, Carlin. And if you're going to be that one-dimensional on the offensive side of the ball, that Dallas Cowboys defense is going to feast. Chris, I've talked to some people around the Rams, and I'm really getting the impression that Allen Robinson right now is just, I don't know if he's running the wrong routes, if he's just not getting the offense, whatever it is, but as much as we look at Stafford and say, well, he's forcing it entirely too much to Cooper Cup, I get the impression that Stafford right now is looking around and not seeing Allen Robinson open, and certainly looking for him, and not going to force the football to him, but when he knows where Cooper Cup's going to be, and they're on the same page, it's a much easier decision to make. So that's problematic to me. Allen Robinson was supposed to come in. They felt really good about him in the preseason, and he has been a big nothing burger for them so far, and that has got to change if they're going to have any kind of a chance here. Yeah, I mean, that's on Sean McVay to get Allen Robinson up to speed and find ways to – you know, get him, you know, more, you know, more involved with the offense, get him, you know, up to speed on the playbook. That, that That's on the head coach to be able to do that. That's also on the player. But it's clear Matt Stafford ain't throwing on the ball because Matt Stafford doesn't trust Allen Robinson to be where he's supposed to. And Tyler Higby and Cooper Cup are guys that have been there. And it, it's clear that there's more of a comfort level in feeding those guys the ball. But the only problem is it makes your offense predictable. And when you're predictable and you have offensive line problems, that is a recipe for disaster. You're going to get your quarterback hit a lot, and your quarterback is going to force the ball into situations that create turnovers. So that's what we've seen from the Rams through the first four games of the season. Matt Stafford has seven turnovers in four games. Carlin, that's not a recipe for success. And unfortunately, I feel like it's going to contend, it's going to continue to trend in that direction until the Rams get some help. They got to bring some other people in there, whether it's trade, finding guys on the street. They've got to do something in order to improve that offensive line and to upgrade that offense. Greeny, the podcast. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And 
Boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. MLB playoffs start at noon today. Rays and the Guardians, first teams up. At noon, there are so many podcasts out right now, and it takes a team of people to bring them together. Whether you're hiring for a podcast or for your growing business, one place makes it easy, and that's ZipRecruiter. And now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Greeny. Canty, how about this? ESPN pulled their 31 experts on who they like in the postseason and who they uh, believe will win the World Series ultimately. Twelve picked the Dodgers, okay? Mm-hmm. Ten picked the Braves. Okay. Eight picked the Astros. Mm-hmm. Zero picked the New York Mets. One picked the New York Yankees. One. Okay, one. How about that? I mean, between the Mets and the Yankees... The Mets, who have the the top three starters that they do, but they haven't been pitching great lately. Mm-hmm. And the Yankees, who, listen, Severino's been better, and I think you can feel a little bit better about the starting pitching situation, but the bullpen's still shaky. Only one person picked the Yankees to win the World Series. Yeah, mm. that's not great, Bob. Not no, great. I, listen, I, I, I'm surprised the number is that low out of 31. I would have thought you might have had more like four or five that would have picked the Yankees. Same thing with the Mets. I, I thought they probably would have gotten a, at least two or three, but no. I mean, everybody is jumping on the Braves. I understand uh, that it's because they won it last year and because they have been red hot since June. But, boy, well, well, be careful when we get into these short series. Well, I hear what you're saying, but you also got to keep this in mind about the Braves. I mean, think about the the – the, the bullpen that they have. Yeah. Like, that's the difference, right? You got Kenley Jansen as a closer. You got Rosal Iglesias and Colin McHugh. Like, you've got a lot of options coming out of the bullpen, and I think that's where they're assigning a level of success to the Atlanta Braves. If you look at the the L.A. Dodgers, they won 111 games, and they have a pretty solid bullpen, not to mention guys that you feel good as, as starters. And so when it comes to postseason baseball, it's all about good pitching, being able to shut down good hitting, and you got to have guys that can not only start the game out for you and give you four or five quality innings, but you got to have a bullpen that can get you to your closer. And I think the Dodgers and the Braves have that in a better regard than the New York Mets, which is why nobody's giving them a shot to come out of the National League bracket. Look. I understand that. But the Mets do have the best closer in baseball. No doubt. Yes, they have to get the ball to him. They have to get to him. That's the problem. I agree. But I'll take my chances with where I am with Scherzer, Bassett, and DeGrom. And it sounds like 
uh, depending on what happens uh, in game one tonight, that in game two it's going to be Bassett. But it, 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 Buck didn't say it specifically, but he may change that to DeGrom in game two, and I'm assuming that's if they lose game one. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a different degree of urgency, right? But if they win game one, then you probably end up going with Bassett and you let DeGrom pitch on normal rest. I think that that would be the formula that you would use. But, I mean, here's the deal, Carlin. If you're looking at this Mets team, it's not a team that has a really solid bullpen. They've got a great closer, but a lot of other questions in terms of their bullpen. And then this is not a team that has a lot of thump in their lineup either. They don't have a ton of power. And you're going to need extra base hits if you're going to have success in the postseason because you're not going to get a lot of mistakes from the pitchers that other teams are going to march out there. So that becomes a little bit of the dilemma when you start talking about the Mets potentially going on a World Series run. Now, if you look at where they're at, I mean, I like the fact that you have, you know, Bassett, DeGrom, and Scherzer, but ultimately you're going to have to have some scoring to go along with that. Those guys are going to need some run support if they're going to win some postseason games, and I'm just not confident that that Mets lineup is going to be able to deliver. Is there a team for you, because there is for me, that is not in that Dodgers, uh, Astros, Braves group that could go on a run and put it together? If the Cardinals had Tyler O'Neill for the division series, I would say they would be the team that I would look at just because of the pedigree. We, always, we also know about Yadier Molina and, and, and Albert Pujols and this being their last ride. Like, I would roll with them, but because they don't have Tyler O'Neill uh, mm-hmm. uh, for the DS, I, I just – I don't know. I, if they had him, I, I would feel better about that, about them getting to that round. But that's the question mark that I would have. But the other team that I would look at, if we're talking about, the, you know, the National League and the American League – is the Tampa Bay Rays. That's a team that scares me. Every Yankees fan knows that they've been a thorn in our side, especially with the way that Kevin Cash is able to come up with you know, openers and pitching matchups and being able to manipulate his, his, um, his lineup in order to give you know, the Yankees pitchers some trouble. That would be the team that I would watch. That's the team that I would be worried with. Now, our ESPN experts have the Guardians beating the Tampa Bay Rays, but that's a team that's – that's feisty. They're a feisty group, Carlin, and I'll never dismiss the Rays' chances of being able to pull off the upset. Remember, they made it to a World Series not too long ago as well. I'll tell you, the Cardinals, are to me, are the team, and I know what you're saying about O'Neal, but when I look at what Jordan Montgomery has done for them and the fact that he has gone over and pitched to a three ERA, and then I factor in uh, that you've got Flaherty and you've got Wainwright, and I understand that Wainwright's a little further down in his career. Canty, like, I, I don't hate the Cardinals in this spot. And you're right. It's tricky to try to get through uh, without Tyler O'Neill. But if they get to the division series, they get through the Phillies, which, I mean, I, I don't know what to think about the Phillies. I just, I, I don't know what to think. They are so up and down with what they are. I, I could see them just not showing up at all in the postseason, yep. even after what's happened to get them here. Yeah, I don't trust the Phillies either. Like, the yeah. Phillies are a non-factor in this. I would probably say the same thing about the Padres. Like, those aren't the teams that I'm checking for. Even if, for some reason, they would get past the wild card round and into the division series, nobody's giving either one of those chance, those teams a chance against the Braves or the Dodgers. I don't believe in the, in the, the Mariners Dodgers. or Blue Jays either. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Mariners, not so much. The Blue Jays, they've got some thump. They've got some power. Um, pitching would be a concern for me with them. So I, I don't know if they have enough pitching 
but they can score runs with the best of them. So, yeah, but it still feels like it's early for that core of players for the Blue Jays to be making a postseason run. So I'm with you on that one. To me, in the American League, it's the Rays, the Yankees, and the Astros. And in the National League, it's the Dodgers, the Braves, and maybe the Cardinals. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio and see it with the video on ESPN+. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcast.